and open those up to uh, Romans chapter 6. I almost forgot my text. That would not be good. And I'm sure some of you, much to my shock, have not brought your Bibles. So I have provided the Bible for you on these screens behind me. So you can look up there if you don't have your Bible. If you do, if you could open up to Romans chapter 6, we would uh, greatly appreciate you following along. Let me start with this. Noon, it was noon, January 1st, 1863. Abraham Lincoln, I want you to hear this. He had twice picked up his pen to sign his name on the Emancipation Proclamation. Both times, he took that pen and he set it back down. He turned to Secretary of State William Seward. He said, I have been shaking hands since 9 o'clock this morning. My right arm is almost paralyzed. If my name ever goes into history, it will be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. But if my hand trembles when I sign the proclamation, all who examine the document hereafter will say he hesitated. And with that, President Lincoln took the pen again and slowly but firmly wrote Abraham Lincoln. And that historic act endeared him to the world as the great emancipator. Now I want you to take that image of Abraham Lincoln signing that document and I want you to rewind 2,000 years to someone who is far greater than Abraham Lincoln was brought about an emancipation, a freedom infinitely greater than what Abraham Lincoln has brought. That's Jesus, and in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection, he unswervingly, unshakingly gave his life for us. And Christian brother and sister, I want you to listen this morning because he's, he's given us two incredible benefits that quite honestly, I don't think we really understand. I'm going to share with you what the Apostle Paul has shared with us. Two unbelievable benefits that you have when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's our job to count on them. To consider them deeply. Here's what Paul says, Romans 6 Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves, some of your Bibles say reckon or count, you must count yourselves dead to sin, benefit number one, and alive to God, benefit number two, both of them in Christ Jesus. He tells us to consider these truths. It means to calculate. It's a verb. You've got to put it into action. And it might not mean a lot to us when I say, what's it mean to consider? What's it mean to count? I mean, it's just one little word in our text. But it's a bookkeeping word. Consider is a calculating word. It was a word used when you evaluated a, a, an object that you wanted to trade or sell. It was a word that was used... When you, when you try to work through the cost of a project that you're about to begin. It was also not only a calculating bookkeeping word, it was also a word in philosophy. Listen, some of you are philosophical people. You like to, you like to think deeply. Well, this was in Greek philosophy, a word that meant you've got to reason through something with your mind non-emotionally. By the way, it's our word logic. 
Logical thinking comes from this word, consider. It means to count on something as fact and put your life into it. Now listen, here's what I'm doing. If you're not catching on yet, you've all got to participate. You know, sermons have got to be interactive. You can't sit there and put your minds in neutral. So let's put it into gear. Here's what you've got to do this morning. All of a sudden, Paul's saying, consider two truths and you've got to count on them as fact and be willing to stake your life on it. Now let me ask you, have you done that? I mean, I've already told you what they are, dead to sin and alive in Christ. Have you counted on them as fact, and are you putting your life on it? Consider isn't wishful thinking. Consider doesn't mean hopeful thinking. It doesn't mean something that might come to pass someday. It means something that's already happened in the life of a Christian and that you've got to consider continually every single day these two truths. Well, here's the two truths. Let's climb inside of it. Number one, Christian, brother and sister, look at me. Now listen, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I can't call you my Christian brother and sister. There's only one way to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. If you put your faith in Jesus, Christian brother and sister, listen, look at me. I'm going to tell you something that you've got to get down into your soul. You've got to anchor it down in there every day. You've got to count on it and put your life on it. You are dead to sin. Did you hear that? Listen, I'm just telling you what Paul's telling us. And the inspired word of God. You are dead to sin. Now likely. Now listen. I'm going to rope you all in. Because I'm going to rope myself in. Likely. This week. You've sinned. And I'm going to tell you. In a crowd this size. Likely some of you. You know if you are. You are embroiled in sin. You're stuck. Yes, you put your faith in Jesus, but you're stuck in sin. Somehow you've wandered away from what you know to be true. You've wandered away from it and you've found your life back inside of a dungeon. And you can't seem to break free. Here's where you start. Number one, Christian brother and sister, you are dead to sin. Stuart Briscoe, he was a... Christian writer, he was drafted into the, to England's Royal Marines during the Korean War. He served under a particularly imposing sergeant major who strode around the barracks leaving trains of tough men quaking in their boots. Briscoe didn't realize just how dominant this man had become. Now listen to the rest of the story. Until he was released from the Marines. He had served his time. The day had come. And with his release papers in one hand, he was enjoying his newfound freedom, walking with the other hand stuffed in his pocket like this. Papers here, hand in the pocket. And he's slouching along and he's whistling. Listen, these are infractions so heinous in the British military that you're going to be reprimanded severely. And of all people, suddenly walking towards him was the master sergeant. You know what he did? On impulse, he stood up straight, took his hand out of his pocket, began to walk with a higher step. 
And then all of a sudden he remembered that he's free. He's free from the military, the dominance of that sergeant major who had, had no more legal hold over his life. It was just a matter of history. He could walk away into his freedom and the master sergeant could do nothing about it. Christian, you are dead to the domineering, enslaving power of sin. But how can this be when we struggle with sin? Listen, aren't you like me? I mean, I sinned this week. I'm not proud of it. But there were thoughts that went through my mind. There was pride that went through my mind. I went to bed last night, and I'm all of a sudden thinking of something, and I feel myself getting angry, and I start praying, Lord, why am I angry? Where is this coming from? And I began to put the grace of God to my own heart because I'm in need of grace. I'm a sinner. Well, how do you reconcile that we're dead to sin when we struggle to sin? Well, look at your verse. The very verse first word is so. It points us back. Let's look at verse 6, Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You've got to underline that in your mind. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Now listen, somebody here has got to be thinking, how could that possibly be? Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago. It doesn't make sense. How could we be crucified with Christ? You know, this past Friday, I'm not sure what you did in your families or in your own walks, but did you remember the death of Jesus Christ and that horrible, wretched cross? Did you remember that Jesus came to rescue us from sin? We just sang about it. The choir sang about it. Listen, we're all experts at sinning. Can any of you tell me honestly that you're not really, truly talented at sin? Honestly? We're all good at it. And by the way, nobody had to teach you. You didn't need to go to college to learn how to sin. You might have sinned a lot in college, but you didn't take a course learning how to do it. We didn't need a training manual. We perfected the art of sinning. It's woven into humanity. And Paul explains how. He says in Romans 5.19, By the one man's disobedience, his name is Adam, by Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Listen, your great, 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 great grandfather is Adam. Put a lot of exponents on that Adam and you've got the first man that's ever lived. We've all come from Adam. And his disobedience has put into our hearts a plague called sin. And every single person who is ever born will all be true of Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, you know that. You know that. You know that's true. And the end of the spiritual disease of sin, listen, it earns a paycheck. Did you know that sin earns wages? There's a paycheck that everybody's going to collect one day, and that paycheck has a five-letter word in it. It's called death. That's the end of sin. 
But the present condition of a sinner is one of bondage. Listen, if you've got unsaved family members, you've got unsaved friends, you're looking at slaves. You're looking at people who are caught up in bondage to sin. They are under the power and the penalty of sin, and they might not even know it. But God, who is so rich in mercy, we just sang about it, and sent His Son to free us from the power and the penalty of sin. Listen, Jesus did what we could not do. You know what Jesus did, right? How astounding is this? Jesus lived every moment of His life sin-free. Perfect. Not once did He sin. He was perfectly obedient. And you know what Jesus did with a life of perfect obedience? Listen, you got to get this, and I'm going to put it in banking terms. He earned a wage. And that wage, the Bible says, is righteousness, which simply means right standing with God. Jesus, all of his life, without sinning, earned an unbelievably inestimable, and I can't even say it, amount of righteousness. And he took that righteousness and he put it down into a bank out of which God withdraws to forgive us. Jesus did what we could not do. He died as a sacrifice for sinners. You know he had to, right? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why? Because sin is so terrible. It brings death. If anything's going to atone or purchase us out of death, then life has got to die. Jesus dies for us to live. He wrote that great deposit ticket of his righteousness. Listen, he wrote it. Think about going to the bank. You fill out that deposit slip. He filled it out. It was his righteousness in the ledger. He signed it with the ink of his own blood. And he died on that cross and deposited it into the bank. And when he died, listen, this is the most puzzling thing, but it's true nonetheless. We died with him. Jesus died, we died. Romans 6, verse 4, look at your text. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. The very moment your eyes open to your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, brother and sister, He took you and He baptized you, He immersed you right into the death of Jesus Christ. This is why verse 5 says, at the moment of salvation, you were united with Christ and that sounds weird, doesn't it? I mean, we don't really speak like this. Or do we? Well, next time you come to a wedding that I'm going to officiate, I want you to think of this because God recognizes that couple is married when they take their vows. And you know what God does? He takes that man and he takes that woman who make those vows to one another and he brings them, he unites them, he joins them to one another so that there is no longer a divisible line. There's no longer any separation. If, in fact, listen, if they divorce, you can't divorce along clean lines because there is no serrated edge. That's why every single divorce leaves jagged, painful scars. You can't possibly rip clean what God has joined together. It's that same union that the moment you put your faith in Jesus, He took you and He joined you with Jesus. There is no longer a division line. You're in Christ. He's in you. The blessings for Christ are your blessings. You're in right standing because of Jesus. 
What is wrong with you people? Why can't you say amen? All right, that was about as much rebuke as I'm going to give you. That is sin nature in action right there. And what happened to us on the cross, verse 6, six explains it. Look what it says. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Listen, you want to know what your old self is? Ready? Come on. You're pounding this down in your minds. The old self is who you were before you met Jesus. That rebellious, squirrely little heart that wanted to sin, it was impaled and nailed to the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, so too did the raging, malevolent nature in every one of us, our old selves. And listen, this gets even better, because when he was buried in that tomb, so our old self was buried as well, right along with him. And just as Jesus rose, listen, this is great, just as he came out of that tomb and he left his burial clothes behind, when he brought you back into new life, he left your old self in the grave. Do you get that? Your old self is dead. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been put into the grave. It can't possibly be back on you. Or God's a liar. Christian brother and sister, count on this. You are dead. You are dead to the domineering power of sin. That old master sergeant is broken. You have been honorably, honorably discharged from its service thanks to the death of Jesus Christ. But there is one more truth this morning. And let me start it with this story from St. Augustine almost 1,600 years ago. Listen to this. St. Augustine, if you know a story, he was a horrible sinner. Well, actually, that was wrong terminology. He was a very good sinner, like a lot of us, especially in the area of lust. Listen, you have a struggle with lust? I know I got most of our men's attention, but it's not just sexual lust. He struggled with lust, but in his case, it was mainly in the area of sexual lust. And after he was saved, he was walking along. Now, listen, this truly happened. He was walking along and he was approached by a woman who had once been his mistress. And seeing her, he turned and he walked away as quickly as he could, but she calls out after him, Augustine, Augustine, it's me, it's me. But walking even faster, he called back over his shoulder and he said, yes, I know, but it's no longer me. Listen, you, you need to know that you're dead to the overpowering, domineering nature of sin. You've got to know that. But if you don't know this next truth that I'm going to get you pounding down in your soul, you're never going to be powerful and you're never going to walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ has for you because something has changed in us. Not only are we dead to sin, listen, we are alive to God. Have you ever heard what criminal experts call Recriming or more technically recidivism. 
It's where a released prisoner relapses back into criminal behavior and is re-imprisoned. And what a great and what a terrible irony. Listen, I might be speaking to you. What a horrible irony that there would be Christians who are sitting miserably in prison, though the door is open, though their shackles are off, though the hand of Christ is extended to walk them out. They're free from the domineering power of sin, but they're sitting in prison like they're enslaved. Now, aren't you thinking, well, if I'm dead to sin, why does it still get the best of me? I mean, aren't you thinking that? Does it seem like you're helplessly stuck in the power of greed, the power of jealousy, the power of pride and anger and lust? Does it seem like you're, you're in bondage to that? Listen, I don't know if there's a week that goes by that I don't have somebody telling me, Pastor Tim, I can't seem to stop this sin. Listen, I know, I know what you're feeling. You have to count as fact and be willing to stake your life on it that you're free from the dominating power of sin, listen, and be given the power to live in that freedom. So let's go back again. The very first word of verse 11 so moves us back verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Friends, God has joined you in Christ. The way he joins a man and a woman on their wedding day. We're in Christ like a branch is in a tree receiving life-producing sap from the tree itself. This is what Galatians says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but listen, it's Christ who lives in me. It's his power that lives in me. It's his power that's made me alive. I'm alive to his power. This is what Romans 8 says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit. Through the spirit who dwells in you. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, lives in you, Christian brother and sister, and has made you alive to learn to live out the freedom that you've got in Christ. Now, do you believe that? You know, a few weeks ago, my family and I went to Cracker Barrel for dinner. And we waited in the store until the call came. Ackley, party of six. Now listen, Denise married into the Ackley name. My four children were born into the Ackley name. She received the same benefit of the Ackley name. She was invited to the table to eat along with us because she's part of the family. It's indissoluble. She's in Ackley. And when the call came, she came. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, he's given you his own name. Christian, you know what that means, right? Christian means little Christ. And he's put his name on you. And he calls you by name and he invites you to share in the life that he has given to you. And when God raised Jesus from the grave, he joined you to Jesus and you were raised too and given a new nature and made a new creation. Again... You might be struggling because 
This happened 2,000 years ago. I don't get this. How can I be joined with Christ when he died and rose 2,000 years ago? Well, let me get you thinking a little deeply. You're thinking, if that's what you're saying, like one who is unavoidably bound by the clock and the calendar, and God is neither. He's not. A thousand years are like a day to him. He knew you, friend, before you were even created. He even knew your name before he created the world. And with that personal knowledge, you've got to believe this, Jesus could look in your very eyes as he died and say, Welcome to my death, because my death is going to rid you of the power of sin. And when he came awake, he was the first one. He could nudge you awake in that tomb and say, listen, come alive. Come alive and enjoy the life that I have for you. That's the power. That's the power of the death, burial, and resurrection. And what stayed in that grave were our old selves. What came out were new natures. That old self that was empowered by that rebellious nature to sin. Now we've got a new self that's powered by the Spirit of God Himself. Salvation has made you a new creation. And it's changed your desires. Now you get this. Ladies, you're really going to get this. Here's what I just said. The new creation. There's new life inside of you. And it's changed your desires. Ladies, if you've been pregnant... How many of you used to love that smell of morning coffee and now it makes you nauseous? How many of you abusively sent your husbands out at midnight to get you something that in your wildest dreams you never would have eaten before? Listen, life can change our desires. And when new life comes into us, it can change our desires because it makes us new creatures. And that's what happened when Jesus rose from that grave. He made us alive to God with a new heart and new desires. You remember a few minutes ago, I used the banking metaphor and I told you that Jesus earned righteousness and his, and his perfect life. And when he died, he deposited that righteousness in the bank account of God's mercy. He signed that deposit slip in the ink of his own blood. Now listen, there's another part of the story. If he, never, if he never came out of that grave, friends, we're all wasting our time. Paul says that our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're dead in our sins. But the resurrection of Christ is proof, is proof that the son's deposit cleared the bank. Listen, you can write a check to your bank. Go ahead, write a $40,000 check to your bank. But if there's not any currency that stands behind that check, it's going to bounce. When, res when Jesus came out of that grave, the check cleared the bank and God could begin writing ransom checks. Ransom checks to buy you and me out of the slavery of sin and set us free in the freedom of Christ. That's what happens in the resurrection. Every single person who will put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Friends, that person is set free from the domineering power of a sin-energized self and made a new creation alive to God. Listen, this isn't just a psychological mind game that you've got to repeat over and over and over until you finally believe it. This is truth. This is fact. You've got to count on it and be willing to place your life on it. You've got to bank on it. Listen, you are dead to sin and you are alive to God.
Now, prior to the Civil War, the master of a slave died. The master, this master loved this slave. As far as I know, this is a true story. He loved this slave. And he died and he left that slave with $50,000. Now listen, everybody look up at me because you know I can't compete with a baby. Would you try to discipline yourselves? Listen, $50,000 before the Civil War is almost like a million dollars today. And this slave had a million dollars, but he didn't know how to live with it. And the bank kept sending him messages. And the bank manager said, hey, you know, you've got all this money. When are you going to come and start using it? And finally, the bank manager went and said, listen, come to see me tomorrow. I want to show you something. And the slave goes there. And the bank manager does his very best to help that slave understand these are the riches you have because your master loved you. You've been a faithful servant. You know what that servant said? As far as I know, this is a true story. He said to that bank manager, do you think that I could have 50 cents to buy a bag of cornmeal? I'm telling you, Christians, some of you are like that. Some of you are like that. You've got untold riches. You're dead to the dominating power of sin. You've been made alive to Christ, but you're still sitting in your jail cell. Even though the door's open and the shackles are off your wrists, you're not living your freedom. You're still asking for a 50-cent bag of cornmeal. And you don't need to live that way. Untold riches and blessings in Christ have been given to you. Don't live like you're in spiritual poverty. Would you close your eyes for a minute? I'm telling you, I'm not going to make you leave your chair or even ask you to. But I am going to ask you to be honest. Because I want to pray for you. If you know that you're that Christian that is living in that jail cell even though the door is opened and the shackles are off. If you know you're that Christian that is still bound up in sin even though sin's been broken in your life and you want prayer and you want help and you want to walk out of that jail, I'm going to ask you to be courageous enough to raise your hand and raise it high because I'm going to pray for you. I see hands going up. Listen, friends, brother and sister, get your hands up if that's you. I want to pray for you. You don't need to live in that cell. Get your hands up if that's you. You can put them down. Let me ask one final question. And again, I won't ask you to get out of your seat, but I will ask for honesty. If you know you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ... And those shackles really are still on you. You're still under the domineering power of sin. You're not alive to Christ. You've understood it in this message. And you've not yet taken that step of putting your faith in Jesus. Would you be courageous enough to raise your hand high so I could pray for you as well? I see the hand. I see those hands. Any other hands? I see it. Listen, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You've got freedom waiting for you. 
see that hand. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the honesty. First of all, those who are without Christ, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that something in this message, something in your word would have sparked faith in them. And Lord, that they would cry out to you and realize there's no fancy prayer. There's no formula. They just need to cry out to you and say, Jesus, forgive me, please take my sin and make me alive. And Lord, if they pray that prayer, Lord, we are so confident. I am so confident. I will say to them, they are saved. And you will teach them how to live. Lord, for all the hands that went up, my brothers and sisters who have realized again this morning, Lord, they are still in the jail cell, even though it's open. And even though there are no more shackles on them, Lord, they have freedom before them. They've not yet stood up and walked out. They have found themselves back into a prison of sin. Lord, I pray, Father, would you please free them? Let them see so clearly your hand of grace that's held out in front of them. Just take hold of that hand, Lord, please take hold of their hands and walk them out of that jail cell and into the freedom that you have given to them so that they will never again ask for a 50-cent bag of cornmeal when they've got untold riches in Christ. Lord, teach us to live free. Help us to count on these truths that Paul has said. We are dead to the domineering power of sin, and we have been made alive in Christ. Thank you to your son, Jesus. And we love him. In his name we pray. Amen.